The, uh, the race might be on this morning for whether I get to the end of my sermon first or my, vo- or my voice gives out first. Uh, I have uh, a cold or something far more serious uh, as a man. Um, and so, you know, it's uh, touch and go. Um, yesterday, and there is, this is gross, but there is actually a, a word, a picture here that you could almost hang on to. Um, <laughs> I haven't said it yet. <laughs> Yesterday, uh, as the cold moved through its stages, it had moved to my nose, and I could not blow my nose enough. I mean, it was just pouring out. Uh, and no matter how many times I blew my nose, it still just kept on coming and kept on coming and kept on coming. And I know what you're thinking, that's, that's really gross, thanks for sharing that. Um, but interestingly, as we were worshipping, I just thought, isn't that a picture of the Holy Spirit? Not that it's snot and stuff like that, but, but don't, don't we want to be filled? Don't we want to be filled in such a way and walk in such a way that he just keeps on coming and keeps on coming and keeps on coming? No matter what you try and do, he keeps on coming, no matter. And I know it's a bit gross, but, but actually, isn't that how we want to be? It's how we want to be. We want to be in that place where just... The Holy Spirit is just leaking out of us in all sorts of ways as we live and as we walk with him. That's where we want to be. We don't want to just make do with half measures, make do with just moments and events. I want to live my life in that way. And I've still so much to learn and so much to press into, and we all do. And so our prayer will be that even this morning as we go through this sermon, that he would change us and transform us. Now, today we're beginning... A short sermon series for Easter called Jesus, Our Champion, who brings hope to a broken world. What do you do when you can't fix what is broken? Heal what is hurting, make sense of what is confusing, clean what is dirty, and free what is held captive. What do you do when you can't save yourself? And into our mess, into our brokenness, and our hopelessness, and our pain, and our weakness comes Jesus as our champion, as our hero, and as our saviour. He comes to save, to heal, to cleanse, to bring freedom and joy and peace and hope and purpose and belonging and family and forgiveness. He comes to give us new life and awesome future. He is Jesus, our champion. The world needs a hero, and Jesus is that hero. Jesus is our champion, a bringer of all sorts of hope to a broken world. And so today we're going to just look and see how Jesus called Matthew to be his disciple and how it demonstrates to us that there is hope for the outcast. And as we go through this, there's a great opportunity for us to ask the Holy Spirit to break within us prejudices that many of us carry towards different sorts of people. And then we get to respond with communion. And so before I go any further, I'm just going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us and uh, really speak to us. And so, Holy Spirit, um, we just confess our need for you. And as I preach and as people listen, we confess our need for you. Would you come? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak uh, truth to the places that you know need to hear truth? We thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. And would you come? And would you transform us? Our prayer is, don't leave us the same. Our cry is, please make us more like Jesus. 
Please transform us. Please shape us. Please grow us. Please don't leave us as we are. And so as we go through these next few minutes together, just give us the ability to hear the words that you're saying. And let our hearts be open that you might change us and that we might glorify you, we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be uh, in Mark chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles. So I'll give you a moment to turn to them. And we're going to be starting at verse 13. So Mark 2, verse 13. Um, and it'll also be on the screen, if you need that. Okay, so Mark 2, verse 13 says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, some of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as, guests, as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law saw, who who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And we'll stop there. Uh, just so uh, you know how everyone in the Bible has at least two names. Um, Levi and Matthew are the same person. And so um, it's the court of Levi, it's the court of Matthew. And this story comes on the back of Jesus healing a paralyzed man, which has left people asking, who, who is this guy? Who is this guy? We've never seen anything like this. Who is this one who is healing people? Who is this one who claims to be able to forgive sins? Who, who is this guy? What is he about and what is he doing? And so people, the religious leaders are following him around, following Jesus around, trying to work out who, who is this guy? Is, is, he, is he like the Messiah or is he some crazy person or is he the devil? Who is this guy? So they're, they're following him around, trying to work out what is going on um, with this guy. So they come across this and they're watching him and how he acts. And after performing this extraordinary miracle, Jesus walks along the shore of Lake Galilee, teaching the crowds, and then he comes to Levi, he comes to Matthew, who is sitting at his tax collector's booth. And it's important that we have an understanding who, who Levi, who Matthew is in this story. He is a tax collector. That means he works for the Romans. They are the occupying force in Israel at the time in our story. They have conquered Israel by force. And now by force they maintain control in the country, quite brutally. And Matthew is collecting taxes on their behalf that leave Israel and go to Rome and pay for the Roman army and pay for the upkeep of the Roman Empire. And so he is the hated traitor who works for an occupying force. Most likely he is also corrupt. So many tax collectors at the time were taxed extra on top so that they could take their own cut first before they gave the taxes to the Romans. He's also viewed as a thief and a liar. Scum is how he is thought of by the people, the uh, Roman religious leaders. 
In Israel, life revolved around being part of the synagogue, part of the religious community. And Matthew, because of his actions, is viewed as an unclean sinner. So he is an outcast from that community, not allowed to take his place, not allowed to be with them. He's the sort of person that you would spit at, you would cross the road to avoid, you would talk about and curse. You, you get the picture. Matthew is a hated, corrupt, unclean traitor to his nation. And he's probably pretty unrepentant about it at this point. You understand, this man is an outcast from his people, separated out and aside. And he's not a good man. And most certainly is not the person who people are expecting Jesus to seek out. If Jesus is this big Messiah, if Jesus is this big religious leader, he would not be going to people like Matthew, the outcast. And yet we read that Jesus sees Matthew and goes over to him and says to him, follow me and be my disciple. Follow me and be my disciple. And I guess it's difficult for us to imagine how shocked onlookers would be that Jesus would seek out this man and ask him to be his follower. We have to really engage our imagination. Okay? Jesus has gone to a person who has no place in the community. He's an outcast by his actions. He's a traitor. He's hated. Wouldn't it be unusual for people like him to be killed in a dark alley because of who he is and what he does? And yet Jesus has gone to this man publicly in front of everybody, said to him, you follow me and be my disciple. Isn't that what Jesus is like? Jesus is no respecter of persons. Jesus reaches out to the most unlikely of people. Those who are written off by others, We live in a society where people are written off. And kind of, if we're honest, we're guilty of it ourselves at some level. Jesus reaches out to those who are written off by others. He seeks out the lost, the broken, the sinner, the outcast, the lonely, the dirty, the messed up and the homeless. With unconditional love and compassion, Jesus reveals himself and invites people to follow him. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is true, and it's a glorious truth that we celebrate. But we can all think of circumstances where we just don't think it's right. It's a beautiful truth, it's a wonderful truth. But you try and think of the worst people in the world that you can imagine and apply it to that scenario, and then you think, I don't think it's fair that Jesus would save them. We live in a world where people do horrible things. We live in a world of brokenness and sin. It is just, that is so, just awful. You can't read the news sometimes without your guts turning inside of you, the sort of things you read about. And yet even the people you read about doing those sort of things, this, this verse is true for them. Whilst they're still sinners, Christ died for them. And there's a large part of us that just doesn't think it's fair and wants justice, that actually justice was done at the cross when Jesus died for sins. And let's be honest, we wrestle with that 
course we do. How could we not? But this is the invitation that Jesus gives to Matthew, the hated outsider, the, the traitor. The one whom people looked at with contempt and disgust. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to him. Come and follow me and be my disciple. Be mine. And staggeringly, we see that this traitorous sinner gets up and begins to follow Jesus. And when I read this, I always wonder, well, why? Why did Matthew do that? What is it that Matthew saw that led him to walk away from his sinful identity and embrace Jesus in that moment? What did he see? And I guess the only answer I have is that when people meet Jesus, he changes their lives. When people meet Jesus, he changes their lives. There's something about him when he reveals himself that just changes everything. And I don't know that I've got a better explanation than that, but it makes the sinner suddenly go, no, no, I want you. I'll leave all this behind to have you. Because, just because I want to, really, I want you to tell three people. And I just want to tell them that Jesus changes lives. Just that simple truth. Jesus changes lives. Kind of, I want you to go and do that now. Just go and tell some people. Give me a chance to have a drink. When people meet Jesus, he changes lives. I mean, really, what possible reason has Matthew got to respond? He's not responded to anybody else in the community. He's, he's made himself an outsider by the choices he's made and the things that he's pursued. Why would, why would he respond to Jesus? And yet Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. And I don't know what happens, but Matthew gets up and follows him. When people meet Jesus, he changes their lives. You see, people don't need moral rules to follow. And people don't need religion. People need Jesus. Uh, my favourite preacher in the whole world is a guy called Matt Chandler, and he says many things that I quote, including this. Without a, heart, without a heart transformed by the grace of Christ, we just continue to manage external and internal darkness. See, it doesn't matter how moral we make people's lifestyle. It doesn't matter how much moralising we can give to people. It doesn't matter how much I can get people to live like Jesus. If they don't know Jesus, they're still in darkness. At which point, who cares about how they live? They're just managing internal and external darkness. They're just doing it differently. And the minute we go on preaching about moralistic lifestyle and moralistic living and not preaching people Jesus, we're just going to leave them in darkness. They might live in a beautiful way. They might live in a really holy way, but they don't know Jesus. They're still going to hell. People need to meet Jesus Christ. They don't need religious living. They don't need moral lifestyles. Now, um, my oldest daughter is getting to the age where she is in the youth work and things like that. You know, I, I, I hate with a passion youth work that teaches children how to live moralistic lifestyles and doesn't teach them about Jesus. And I'm very thankful that Houston... <laughs> doesn't do that, as evidenced by Thursday just gone, where eight people responded. 
Because the, the thing isn't to teach, well, if you live like this and live like this and live like this, and then you're a good person. Yeah, but what about Jesus? He's the only one who saves. He's the only one who saves. I would bet that Matthew has had plenty of moralistic teaching from the religious people in his community. You shouldn't live like this. You need to live this way and this way and this way and this way and this way, and then you'll be good and then you'll be worthy. But it turns out that isn't what saves people. Jesus saves people. And people respond to Jesus. People need to meet Jesus Christ who brings life from death, who brings light from darkness, who brings hope from despair and gives the outcast a family. That doesn't mean we're not to have opinions about how people live. That doesn't mean we have great things to share with them about what brings, uh, what brings help and what brings difficulties and what brings success and what brings failure. But to do that apart from Jesus, because it's only Jesus who brings life. The same Jesus that you and I have met and who has changed and is changing our lives from the inside to the outside. There's nothing more soul-destroying than someone just having their life changed on the outside and not on the inside. It's, it's just so sad. Yeah, we want to see outside change, but that comes from inward renewal, where Jesus has come into our hearts and begins to change us in deep ways, in deep ways that cannot be changed. And so I want to... I plea with you. We want to be on the front foot. It's a season of revival. We want to be on the front foot. We're believing by faith that we are going to see many, 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 many people saved and respond to Jesus and that we all get to play a part in that. It's not just for the ones or the twos, but that we all get to come in the power of the Holy Spirit and play our part where Jesus has placed us. But my plea to you is this, don't preach morals, preach Jesus. So quickly, so quickly I can stand in judgment on people. So quickly I stand in judgment on how they live and the choices they make and what they do. But if they don't know Jesus, what do I expect? There's a great quote in a book called Velvet Elvis by a guy called Rob Bell. And it's one of those Christian books that's 50% rubbish and 50% great. And uh, but there's a great quote in it. It says, why, why shout at the dark for being dark? What else can it be? Your job is to bring light. Too often we get caught shouting at the dark for being dark rather than being the people who will bring the light. People in darkness don't need me to shout at them for being dark. They need me to come and show them Jesus and be Jesus to them so that they might also walk into the light and receive him and be genuinely changed from the inside to the outside. I don't know what's happened here, but it's happened to Matthew here. Somehow Jesus has come to him and suddenly he's left behind all this stuff. Jesus revealed himself and Matthew's life was changed forever. And we must, we must, we must Give people the Jesus who transforms lives, not a moral lifestyle and a judgmental attitude. Matthew follows Jesus and then invites him and his disciples to dinner at his house with all the other outcasts and tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Who is an outcast friends with? Where well, it turns out he's friends with all the other outcasts 
all the other marginalised people, all the other people who have been separated out. And when the religious leaders see this, it sends them into a complete meltdown. It says when the teachers of the religious law who were the Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And what they're really saying is this, these people are hopeless. Don't you know who they are? Why would you waste your time with people like them? If you were God, you would know what these people are like and you'd never go to them and go near them. You would treat them as outcasts, not worthy of mercy or acceptance or love. People like that don't belong in the kingdom of God. Why does he eat with such scum? That's what they're really saying when they're asking the question. Don't you know who these people are? If you were God, you would never go near people like that. This is the Pharisees, the religious leaders, venting their anger and disgust at what Jesus is doing, spending time with these sort of people. And rightly, we we read this sort of stuff and we recoil at the lack of grace and the lack of mercy and love towards those who need Jesus. And yet, and yet, what about us? What about our own prejudices that we have towards different sorts of people and groups? Now, I'm going out on a limb here because there is a chance that you're just all better than me. And so I might be just talking to myself here, but I don't think that's true. See, it turns out you don't have to dig too far into my life to find a hard heart and a prejudice prejudice lurking towards people or groups. Maybe that's too honest, but I suspect that in some way it's probably true for most of us. We seem to live in perpetual fear of gay, transgender, maybe atheists, the homeless, addicts, Muslims, travellers, refugees, those who sin in a really bad way, whatever that is. You know, when I found out that... um, moving in next door to me, was a family with eight children. Before I'd even met them, I'd made an entire judgment about who they are and what they would be like. Because people with eight kids are like that, right? So I'd never met them, I'd never spoken to them, but in my mind I'd already decided, oh, they'll be this and they'll be that and they'll be this. Because it turns out that I have prejudices in my life at work. When the woman who lives behind me has got three children by three different fathers, I make judgments about her. Why? Because it turns out I have conditioned to have some prejudices in this world. What she really needs is love. What she really needs is Jesus. What she really needs is people who give her time and open their home to her. And probably if we're honest, it's probably not the same for each of us. We struggle with different things, but probably if we're honest, we all, at some place, have prejudices in certain ways. 
They're just certain groups or certain people who just, I don't know what it is, but when we come across them or hear about them, it just provokes a response in us. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone have a good word to say about gypsies in the travelling community. And you can see why. But in this story, they're the outcast. In this story, that's where Jesus is going to go to and say to them, follow me and be my disciple. I'm so aware of prejudice in my life. And it's not that God hasn't done some stuff in me already to get past some of that. I just know there's more to go. I just know I'm not the finished article. And I do know that if there's going to be a season of revival, I want to lay as much prejudice to rest as I can because I don't want it to be a barrier to me being Jesus to people as he leads me. See, I've been in church all my life, literally all my life. I've been around for a long time and on more than one occasion I've heard the phrase, we don't want people like that in the church. On more than one occasion I've heard that phrase. And, you know, I'm just going to be honest, I've never said it, but I'm sure I've probably thought it sometimes. We all want people in the church. And theologically, we're all like, yes, all these people can be saved until they come and sit in my chair or sit next to me. And that becomes more difficult for me. Well, what are people like this doing in the church? And so if we're not careful, we treat people with suspicion and fear rather than grace and love. But this story teaches us the exact opposite to that. Jesus seeks out the very people who so desperately need him. We see how Jesus responds to the complaints and disgust of the religious leaders. Healthy people don't need a doctor, he says. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. Jesus is the hero in this story. The religious leaders aren't. They're the ones who stood on in judgment, saying you wouldn't go to people like that. I don't want to be that person. I want to be like Jesus, the hero, who sees Matthew in his tax collecting booth and goes to him and says, follow me, be mine, be my disciple. The Church of Jesus Christ isn't a closed club for people who are just like me or who I feel comfortable with. It's a place where the outcast finds a family with brothers and sisters united in Jesus. We live in a world crying out in loneliness, crying out in pain, crying out in suffering, and it's so easy, it's so easy to stand in judgment on the world. And rightly so, we see horrors. And we think, is anyone going to do anything about this? And we stand in judgment. Oh, that I'd be able to see with the eyes of Jesus and see the brokenness and the pain and the suffering behind it all. That can only be fixed by a hero. That can only be saved by a wonderful king. The church of Jesus Christ isn't a closed club and that means that we can't and we won't stay like this. Jesus is intent on growing his church with all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds. 
And he is intent on working through you and through I to reach out and to love them. What a privilege that is. What a privilege that is. I mean, he could just do it by himself, but actually what he's going to do is going to work through us in our own faltering, failing ways that we do. He will work through us to reach people, the unlovely and the broken, and bring Jesus to them. Which means we get to see people have the light switched on. We get to be there sometimes at the moment where life begins and people's lives are changed forever. And we must keep pushing into God, asking the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with compassion and love, the compassion and love of Jesus. The compassion and love of Jesus doesn't happen in the natural, it doesn't happen by accident. I don't care how holy you are, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens by coming to him again and again and again and recognising our weakness and confessing our weakness to him and confessing our sins to him and crying out to him saying, would you change me? Would you change me? I, I want to not be like this, but I keep being like this. And I want to not treat people that way, but I keep on doing that because in my own strength, I just keep going to the same place. Only you, Jesus, can break it in me. fighting not to let bigotry take hold of our hearts, that we might see people how Jesus sees them, people trapped in sin and lost in darkness, desperately, desperately, desperately in need of life and in need of a saviour. That we might be on the front foot reaching out and loving the unlovely. When I was um, uh, in Cambodia, there was uh, an American guy who was also at the conference we were at in Thailand who, for some reason, kept following where we were. It's like we could never get rid of him. And um, he, uh, he did this one thing uh, at the conference we were at for like two minutes, and he kind of said, um, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? Who do you see? And people gave various answers. And he said, when you look in the mirror, who do you see staring back at you? It's Jesus. Because Jesus lives in you. He said, you're the Jesus that people get to see. And he took someone's hands. He said, see these hands? Whose hands are these? So these are the hands of Jesus. When you touch people, when you serve people, when you bless people, that's the Jesus that people get to feel. And he went through a whole list, which I can't remember. And I, I, I know all that, but it was quite profound in the moment. Because I don't know that I think of myself that way. But the reality is in this world, Jesus has chosen in his wisdom to work through us. And to, to use us. And so we're the Jesus that people get to see. With a Jesus that people get to meet, get to feel, get to know. And if that's true, I want to push further and further into God, asking the Holy Spirit, please help me. Please help me be more like Jesus in how I live, in how I speak, in how I think, in how I see people. Please help me be more like Jesus. Jesus, our champion, seeks out the outsider, the outcast, 
and the sinner and he calls them to himself. He seeks them to be their champion, to be their hero and to be their saviour. No one is too dirty. No one is too sinful. No one is too hopeless for Jesus to reach out in compassion and to love and to save. And I want to live that way. And I praise Jesus because, do you know what? I'm better than I used to be. He's done some stuff in me. I'm not the closed-minded individual I once was many, many years ago. But there's still so much still to do. There's still so much still to do. And if revival's going to happen, I'm resolved in my mind, I want to play my part in it, and I want my heart to be changed, because I want to be Jesus to people. Genuinely. Whoever he sends me to, whoever he puts me amongst, whatever opportunity he gives me, I want to take hold of it and not miss it because of judgments I make on people or a closed heart to certain groups of people. I want to see them as he sees them and love them as he loves them. And so that means my heart needs to change. And that means your heart still needs to have some changes done to it. And so why don't we stand? We're going to come to the communion table in just a moment. And just before I pray, this is, uh, I'm going to give you a moment. You might want to ask the Holy Spirit maybe just to search your hearts. I mean, maybe you know already. I mean, it's not always that complicated. I mean, most of the time I know, really, my own life. But, but maybe you just want to ask the Holy Spirit just to help you, to, to reveal to you in your hearts, where is the hardness in your hearts? Where is the bigotry that maybe has taken root? that maybe you excuse or just don't want to address, just ask him. And ask him to come and to begin to break that and just begin to repent. Repentance is such a beautiful thing. And just take, take a minute or so, just, this is between you and the Lord. I'll pray in a minute. It's between you and him. You know, Holy Spirit, we can't be like Jesus in our own strength. And we were never supposed to be. That's why Jesus sent you to us, Holy Spirit. And so we just humbly ask for your help. We want to be more like Jesus. Jesus, we want to see people how you see people. 
We want our eyes and our hearts open to see the brokenness and the pain and the horror and the suffering that lies behind all the sin we see in this world today. Lies behind how people live and the choices they make. And we want to say, Lord, would you break our hearts the way that your heart's broken? And would you give us compassion and love, not just for a moment, but help us day in and day out to see as you see and to be moved as you move. And Lord, where we find it difficult, and we all do in different parts, we just lay that before you now as we come to the communion table and remember the cross. We take the opportunity to repent now and just say, Lord, we're so sorry. We, we, we all hit areas where we just can't seem to deal with it. And just right this second, we want to bring it to you, to the foot of the cross. Say, Jesus, I thank you, you died. <coughs> you died for our sins. And you died for even the things that we confess now that we're struggling with and find difficult. You died for that, that we might be set free from it. So we just confess to you those areas, those prejudices, those attitudes that just take a grip in us and say, Jesus, thank you that you died, that I might be set free from these things. And I just come and say, I'm sorry, and I ask Holy Spirit, turn my heart around because I want to live like Jesus, not live like that. And would you come and would you help me now? And would you set me free from the grip that the world has on me, the judgmental grip that comes with how this world lives? And would you fill my heart afresh with grace and mercy and love and confidence in you, Jesus, I pray. That we might be able to reach out and be Jesus to all those that you would place us next to. And I pray this week that you would help us to take spirit-led steps of faith in loving the outcasts in our society. Wherever you take us to, in different places, in different ways, we all have different lives going on. But in our lives, I pray that you'd have our eyes open to spirit-led opportunities to bless the outcast and be Jesus to them. as you so gloriously have done that to us. And so, Lord, as we come to the communion table, if we break the bread and we drink the drink, we remember you, remember your sacrifice, and remember a God who sacrificed himself that people might have life and that people might have joy and that people might have freedom, that people might not have to be bound up in darkness and shame and guilt anymore, but know what it is to know the love of the God who created them. And as we, as we behold the cross, would you fill us with a passion that others also who don't know you need to come to this place and meet you and be saved gloriously and brought into your family. that you might be glorified and that your name might be made much of, we pray.